Bible with you, the best place to turn this morning is going to be in John chapter 8, uh, which is where we will land for much of the service. Um, but we are studying the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have this list of nine fruits uh, named in Galatians chapter 5. And let me uh, remind you of that list before we get going. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and that last one is self-control. And so we're in the part of that list that uh, typically gets forgotten, right? We start to rattle off that list of the fruit of the Spirit, and then we get to the four Nesses, and we get confused, and they all mix together. They're very similar. I call them the four Nesses, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Um, but man, the Nesses are so important, especially gentleness that we're talking about today. I think that gentleness in particular is one of the most rare standout qualities you can have today. If you can be a gentle person, if you can handle others with care, you can do something most people cannot do because we are tempted just not to handle other people with care. We don't feel like we are handled with care. And so we think, well, I'm not going to handle other people with care. And, and it's interesting today, I, I think today how the world is different, is that some of these uh, qualities that are the opposite of being gentle are, are seen as almost admirable today. When someone, when, it, when someone is blunt, well, that's respectable. When someone is harsh, that's necessary. If, are they abrasive? Are they overly critical? Well, the times call for it, so good, do it. We like to even aspire towards those qualities sometimes. And when we see those qualities displayed in this world, if those qualities, those negative qualities, are supporting whatever agenda we find ourselves in support of, if they're, if they're uh, supporting what represents our belief system or, or values, they're justified. They're good. Right? And I, I, I think we all have to admit this. Sometimes those negative-ish qualities are necessary, right? I mean, sometimes being blunt, harsh, abrasive, abrupt, sometimes you just got to be. I, I do agree with that to an extent. Because sometimes when push comes to shove, hey, you, that, that's the posture you got to take. You got to be, you got to take those attitudes into some situations. But I think the difference today is that push often doesn't come to shove, but those are, are what spill out of us anyway. And I don't think that's the way it should be. I think when those sort of attitudes, and when I'm talking about being a blunt, harsh, abrasive, abrupt, and those sorts of things, when that becomes the norm, when that becomes what spills out of us just on a typical day, I think that's when we start to walk into the realm of being a bully. That's, that's the epitome of what being a bully is. We just unleash those sort of attitudes unprovoked into the world. That's just who we are. And I think bullying is on the rise in our culture. Bullying is on the rise. And, and, and the difference in bullying today, I think, you know, used to, you think of the bully. The bully is the big kid that pushes you down and takes your lunch money. That's what we used to think of when we think of a bully. But that's not a bully anymore, is it? Times have changed, right? It's not, it's not so much about weaponizing muscle mass, though that is a very good tactic if you want to be a bully. But it's more about weaponizing information. We live in the information age, and you can always find the information you need to manipulate a situation and be the bully and be aggressive, right, right? In, in a situation. That's, that's probably a sermon for another time. <laughs> if, I, if I get too far down that rabbit trail, I'll never come back. 
But here, here's, here's what the compare and contrast I want us to see today. We have someone who has the spirits of gentleness here. And on the other side of the aisle, we have someone who has a bully type agenda. Someone who has, someone who is a bully is someone who has a strength of some type, but it is untamed. It's wild. It's unfiltered, right? That's, that's what a bully is. Someone who is gentle is someone who has a strength, but it is tamed. It's under control. It's kept in check. They can utilize it to benefit not only themselves, but they can utilize it to benefit the people around them. See the difference? I mean, you can be strong on both sides of that, that aisle, but the Holy Spirit wants us to have the quality of God's gentleness, which is a strength that is under control. He's trying to empower us to be strong enough to be gentle. That's what it means to bear the fruit of gentleness. He is empowering us with the strength that it takes to be gentle. We don't typically think of strength when we think of gentleness, do we? There's a, there's a, there's a language barrier here. Anytime you're studying a concept in Scripture, always remember there's a language barrier. Sometimes we, we start defining things and developing thoughts that come more out of our English language than the Bible. And so when we think of being gentle, we think of being timid. We think of being mild-mannered in a weak sense. Um, but when you look at the Greek word and, and study the Greek scholars, I always preface any of these par- portions of my sermon with, I am not a Greek scholar, but I can read. And I like to read Greek scholars. And when you read the research and you, and you l- look at the arguments and things and study linguistics, they, will, they, they say that this concept in this culture of being gentle or meek, sometimes that word is translated as meek. So we're talking about gentleness or meekness, depending on the translation you have in front of you. In, 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 the, in the Greek language, um, you would use this word even to um, ex- or, or describe a tamed animal. Like, so, so if you have the stallion that has been tamed and is now something you can utilize as a tool uh, or, or to, to ride into a, a war or something, you have tamed that animal. Therefore, that stallion is meek. He is gentle. And so, again, when we think of meekness or gentleness, we, we have this weak connotation attached to it. And for that reason, I think this is maybe a less desirable quality on this list. But if you were reading in the original language and in the original culture, you would not have had that impression at all. You would have seen uh, something strong when you thought of something that is gentle. And really, just logically, when you're thinking just log- logically, uh, when you, if you're telling someone to be gentle, it presupposes that they have strength, right? And so gentleness is not the absence of strength, right? That's a big misconception. Gentleness presupposes strength. And we are talking about a version of gentleness that takes so much strength that apart from the Holy Spirit, we are not even capable of being that strong. And so that is the quality that the Holy Spirit wishes to work in our hearts. It is a trait of the strong. It's exclusively for the strong. It's, it's, it's exclusively for the empowered because we don't have what it takes apart from God. We want to have a certain caliber of strength that goes beyond what we can do on our own. And so the Bible teaches that God is gentle. This is, a, this is a part of his character. He is a gentle being. He, he tempers his strength with gentleness. Can you imagine if God didn't? He is an all-powerful being. 
He demands obedience from his creation, and creation is not obedient. Imagine if he did not temper his strength with gentleness, right? This would all already be over. It would be done. His wrath would have already annihilated everything, but he tempers his his strength with gentleness, and he desires us to possess that same quality. And so, so, so there are tons of Old Testament verses that we could examine that talk about or refer to God's tenderness or his gentleness. But uh, again, as with any, any one of these traits on this list, it's just so overwhelming. You, you got to zero it down to what you're going to talk about. And I want to focus on a New Testament passage in John chapter 8, where Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, he, he, who, he is uh, that which is the exact imprint of his father, has the exact imprint of his nature that we learned in Hebrews. This is a moment in which Jesus displays just a magnificent moment of gentleness. Now, fast fact before we get to John 8, of all the qualities that Jesus possesses perfectly and displays perfectly, you know that gentleness is the only one that he draws attention to? It's the only one that he says, hey, be like this, be gentle. That's the only time he says that. He could have said, be like me, love perfectly. Be like me, have joy perfectly. Be like me. Have faith perfectly. He could have gone through that entire list, but the one he chose to draw attention to, the only one, is gentleness. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, if you remember it in our time studying together, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. He says, learn from me. Be gentle. Handle others with care. Temper your strength. You're going to allow people to rest. You're going to cause peace when this happens. And so we get to see that gentleness in action in this particular moment in John chapter 8. It's the moment that we all know, you've all heard it preached on a thousand times. I've preached on it several times. But this is one of the most famous moments in the entire Bible. It's when the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus by the religious elite, brought before him. And, and, and it's just an, an ex, an, a perfect example, I think, to see this compare and contrast that I was talking about earlier. We get to see the gentleness of Jesus and how that strength looks and what it is and how it behaves. Up and against the strength of the, of the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes. They are the bullies. And we get to see how that strength looks differently. Of course, we see that the... We're about to read and be reminded of that moment when the scribes and Pharisees, they're, they're taking this woman before Jesus, and, and they got to flex. That's what, that's what bullies do to show their strength. They flex. they got to flex. They have to. they got to intimidate. And, and then we get to see the, the strength of Jesus where you're gentle. You don't have to flex. The, the power speaks for itself. And so John chapter 8, the context is that Jesus is teaching in the temple. He's there doing his thing. He's a rabbi. He's there teaching in the temple. At this point, his his ministry is very widely known. All right? It's had its ups and downs, but it it is widely known, wildly popular. But the opposition is beginning to rise too. So the popularity of the ministry of Jesus is is really big. It's peaking. It's making waves. And the teachings of Jesus are are really becoming really well known. And and, and the teachings are making waves. And some people are are loving it and some people are hating it. And so whenever he's showing up to the temple and teaching in the temple, the religious elite of the time, 
they take this as an opportunity to bully Jesus and the people who follow him. They were beginning to feel a, 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 they're beginning to feel insecure about who they are. They're beginning to feel insecure about the popularity of Jesus. They feel threatened by that, so they feel like they got to do something. And when a bully feels threatened, that's when a bully does what a bully does. You know, when a bully acts out, they are scared. They are threatened. They are afraid. So they got to start flexing. They got to start doing everything they can to gain back control. So we have untamed strength with the bully, and we have meekness and gentle strength with our Messiah. Let's, let's read it together. We're going to start in John chapter 8. And I just want to read verses 2, starting at verse 2, through verse 6. It says, Early in the morning he came to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to, to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they, might, uh, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. What an awkward moment, right? Can you imagine, like you just showed up to the temple that day. You're going to be a good Jew. You're going to go to the temple. You're there to learn. You're there to worship. You're there... To, to participate in temple activity. You're doing your thing. You're feeling great. This would have been a, 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 just a, a, a rare experience in your year if you have traveled from far away to go to the temple to worship. You're there listening to a rabbi teach. That rabbi happens to be Jesus. His popularity was, was at its height, and, and a lot of people know about him. You're eager to hear what he has to say. And then... All of a sudden, you're caught up in the most awkward tension that has probably been in that temple all year long. This is so, like, so, so awkward and awful. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are just the worst, right? But a bully, like they have to come in with that posture. They have to come in and flex because they're after a particular type of respect. Right, you, were, you, were, you show respect in so many different ways, right? Respect is a, is a big term. But for a bully, the only, they, they crave respect, but the only version of it they can manage to get is, is, the, is the version of respect that involves, like, fear. So they want to put you in a posture of fear, and then they feel like they, they interpret that as the respect that they so desire. And so that's the posture they're coming in here with. We want to trap Jesus. We feel threatened by his popularity. Of course, they would never admit that. A bully would never say that out loud. This is what's going on internally. We're going to paint him in a corner, and we're going to make him look like a fool. And we're going to, make, we're going to come in here loud and proud, and we're going to drag this prostitute as a, as a part of our trap that we're setting for him. And... Um, they're just clawing after that respect in all the wrong ways. And the woman had been caught and brought before Jesus to test him by the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think this is, to say that the scribes and the Pharisees as bullies are inconsiderate, that's an understatement, right? Bullies are always inconsiderate. Someone who has a spirit of gentleness is considerate. They consider others around them, right? Untamed strength never takes people around them into consideration. That's just not how a bully functions. They got tunnel vision. They're like a bull in a china shop. That's how someone who is a bully behaves. And so you think of just the lack of concern that they had for everyone. 
the woman. No concern for her well-being whatsoever. No concern for her dignity whatsoever. She's just a means to an end. That's all this woman is to them. That's how a bully behaves. That's what untamed strength looks like. You know, when you when you deep dive into what scholar thinks are, are uh, thinks are, is happening in this situation, a lot of people think that this is a known prostitute in this area, and that that she maybe uh, wasn't. Maybe they didn't like walk in and catch her, but they just knew because of her reputation and what she did for a living as a prostitute. They just went and snagged her. That's why, the, that's why people always say, well, who, where was the other person that she was committing adultery with? Why didn't they drag him in there with her? Well, they think, well, it's, it's plausible that they just saw her, knew she was a prostitute, grabbed her, and brought her before Jesus. So just that we don't know that for sure. But th- this woman was just a means to an end. That's often how a bully behaves. They're inconsiderate, and they dehumanize people, and they use they just use people to get what they want, and what they want is this respect at all costs, and they want people to fear them. And so their tactic then to get that fear is to intimidate Jesus, intimidate, put him in a lose-lose situation. So they want to bring a charge against them. And so here's, here's the lose-lose situation that Jesus is in. They bring this woman before him. Hey, the law of Moses said we're supposed to stone a woman like this. What do you say? What should we do here? Jesus? <laughs> you know, I imagine him saying it like that. But if, if he decides to stone the woman or advocates for her stoning in that, that moment, he loses. Because remember, Rome is in charge. So the, the Jewish nation had no authority to execute anyone. The only way they could execute someone is by getting uh, the approval or getting Rome to do it or getting their permission to carry it out themselves. Uh, hence the, the gospel where Jesus is hung on, hung on a cross. They, they, they were using the Roman government to, to execute Jesus because they themselves could not do it, right? But so if Jesus advocates for her stoning, we got a charge to bring against Jesus. He, he, he is... Uh, uh, in violation of Roman law. And so, therefore, he would be in big trouble. He would be executed by Rome. So, if he, if he doesn't uh, condemn her, if he doesn't advocate for her stoning, well, then he's, uh, they, they get to bring another charge against him. Oh, so you're against the law of God. You're anti-law. You're anti-Moses and like the, the Pentateuch, right? So, whatever Jesus says here, he loses, so they think, right? And so Jesus, in his spirit of gentleness, he responds in two ways. And we've only read one of them. First, he responds non-verbally. And then he responds verbally. And both are done in a spirit of gentleness. I think both are very calculated. I think both are done by the, the, by the, the strength of the Holy Spirit in this moment. His non-verbal response, which is so important with someone who, who has a spirit of gentleness, right? So, you, ever, you ever notice that? Like some, sometimes, sometimes people, uh, they, they have all the wrong nonverbal cues. What they're saying sounds gentle, but what they're doing is harsh, blunt, <laughs> abrupt, right? And then sometimes it's the other way around. Well, Jesus, he gets it right in nonverbal and verbal, uh, with nonverbal cues in with what he says. And so first he says that he bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. What was he writing on the ground? There's the million-dollar question, right? And I've heard uh, uh, several sermons and things of cliche, 
you know, uh, speculation as to what he's writing on the ground. You know, people say, well, he was writing a cross because he was dying for her, her sins. Well, that, you know, that, sounds, that sounds really great if you want a really clever sounding sermon. But we have no reason to believe he was writing the, the shape of a cross. Some say that he was writing Old Testament verses in the moment and, and stuff like that. And they, they speculate different passages uh, and things that he was writing down. Of course, the you know the passages weren't they didn't have ch- chapter numbers and verse numbers there or whatever. But anyway, you know, I, I, I think all, all of that speculation misses the point. If we're, if you're wondering what he was writing on the ground, you're 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 wasting your your time. We don't know what he was writing on the ground, but that's not the point. That's not the point. The, that speculation misses the point. Jesus was using his. God-given spirit of gentleness, Holy Spirit-empowered spirit of gentleness to disarm them. I mean, he, he just, his, his ho-hum posture as he bends down and starts writing in the sand, just imagine the awkwardness there. Like, can you imagine the, the silence there? The, Jesus wasn't giving them the knee-jerk reaction that they came there to provoke, right? They came in there to, to, to take control and to, to put them in this impossible scenario. And they only saw one of two outcomes. They can either win this way or they can win that way. And then Jesus does something totally unexpected. He bends down and he starts writing in the sand. I don't know what he's writing. Maybe he's playing tic-tac-toe. We don't know. We don't know what he's doing in the sand. But he, he does that because he would not let those bullies make him frantic. They went there to make him frantic, and it didn't happen. And again, just imagine the awkward silence. I mean, even if I just stand here in silence in the middle of a service. It's terrible, right? It's ter- we can't take it. How long did was he silent, right? So he bends down, and, and the moment, this is not a tense moment right now. Imagine that moment with all of the tension, all of the action taking place, and he's completely silent, drawing on the ground. What is he drawing on the ground? He totally disarms them. You imagine being someone there who had who respects Jesus. You're on the edge of your seat. It's it's not what you expected. You imagine you're there and you hate Jesus. Now what do I do? You imagine you're there and you're the woman caught in adultery. What's going to happen? It, like it, it's just like he he totally disarms them with this moment, this gentle moment where he manages. To slow them down, I, I, I don't think this is Jesus being timid. I think it's Jesus being intentional. He's, he's secure enough to take control of the moment in a nonverbal way and just slow it way, way down and stun everybody that's listening. Stun everybody that's witnessing this situation. And most importantly, he completely disorients and rattles his opposition. It's amazing. The presence of mind. The strength, how you would want to lash out. You throw mud at me, you want to play games, let's do it, right? I mean, that's just not what he does. He's so gentle, and he just takes the time to bend down right in the sand and just let it ride for a moment. Being gentle, it's responding in the right time. Being gentle is responding in the right way. It's responding at the, the right time, and it's also responding with the right words. And that's what he does next. Let's, let's pick up in verses 7 through 11. It says, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. He did it again. But when they heard it, 
They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So we see in this moment, Jesus, he, takes a res- he, he responds in this nonverbal way and in a verbal way, and it's so considerate. That's what gentleness does. It, it's, it's a spirit of, being, uh, of just considering everyone there and how my actions, nonverbal and verbal, affect everyone in the room. He takes everyone into consideration. He not only wants to respond in a way that would impact the scribes and Pharisees, He wants to respond in a way that impacts the woman. He wants to respond in a way that impacts the people who are witnessing this. He takes everyone into consideration. He's thoughtful. That's what gentleness means, to to think about everyone else as well as yourself. And so he's unrushed. He's completely controlled. And he de-escalates the entire situation. Gentleness, it it just totally disarmed them. He took the bullets right out of their gun. Flicked them on the floor. They had no ammunition. They didn't know what to do. His spirit of gentleness, it brought them peace. It brought the woman relief. It brought the people, it brought the people around them relief. Imagine, you know, when that, when that intense, awkward moment happens, you just can't wait for it to be over. And he brings that relief in such a great way. But I think the most important part of his response is the least talked about. It's the least talked about in this moment. It's the least brought up in sermons. After the dust settles, after everyone moves on, he still rebukes her. He still rebukes the woman. That's the part we always leave out. Everybody talks about how he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And, and, and rightfully show, so we should mention that. But he still rebukes the sin. And then incredible. He, you know, it's... It's tempting to believe, and I think, and I see this in myself, when I'm trying to be gentle with someone, it's tempting to especially not address the sin. I, I feel like I'm being mean if I address sin in someone's life. I feel like I'm being harsh or I have such an overwhelming fear of being maybe too honest with them or honest in, a, in an overly critical way. And so we think, when we think of being gentle, we tend to think of not addressing the problem, of being non-confrontational. But that's not the spirit of gentleness in the Bible. That's not the spirit of gentleness when it comes to Jesus. That's not the case at all. He still rebukes the sin. He just does it in a soothing way. He does it in a way that is much more effective and takes much more strength. He's I feel like sometimes when I finally get to the point in which I confront a sin, I feel like I'm sandpaper, right? I'm just rubbing everybody the wrong way. I don't don't want to do that. I want it to come from a heart of compassion and love and and considerateness. And and that's the way Jesus manages to do it. It's so so appropriate. And and so when we think of confronting sin, sometimes we're we're worried we're going to come across pretentious or, or arrogant. But Jesus, he, he manages to confront the sin out of a heart of humility. You know, it's often the times when people think of, of uh, confronting sin, they, they, they end up being argumentative. But Jesus does this in a very reasonable way, a very thoughtful way. People are worried about being abrasive. I mean, here, here Jesus is displaying gentleness and t- just a tenderness. 
It can be done. And, and when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will confront sin and be honest about sin, but you will do so in a way that displays this posture that Jesus displays here with this woman. So I, I just can't help but, wait, but think of all the ways, and when I think about this scenario, like think of all the ways Jesus could have just trashed these guys. Think about all the ways he could have maybe responded with a question of his own, as we, as we know that he sometimes did, but this moment didn't call for that. I think of all the ways, that, all the things he could have said, and, and just from, from his position, his, his sinless position, right? From his vantage point, he could just crush them, verbally, non-verbally, whatever it may be. He could, he could just totally crush them, but his spirit, his spirit of gentleness and the spirit of gentleness that God gives us through the Holy Spirit, it doesn't stoop. It doesn't stoop, right? When we think of the, of the bully and the way the bully behaves, you know, oftentimes they display such a confidence there. There's, there's, just, there's just a different type of confidence. Like bullies are confident, but someone with the spirit of, of gentleness is, is confident. And I think this, confident, this confidence over here with, with the spirit of gentleness is, is much stronger. It's much more genuine. I think the confidence over here with the bully is just the appearance of confidence. It's artificial. Right? It's, not, it's not real. True, true confidence has, has a peaceful attitude with it. Like, when you're going to tie your shoes, you're confident. You're calm. You're peaceful. Because you know how to tie shoes. Right? Right? So, but when you're unsure of yourself, that confidence might turn into artificial. Artificial? <laughs> I'm not very confident in my ability to speak this morning. Oh, man. Uh, we'll, we'll define what the word artificial means later. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to define it now. I will at the end. Okay. Artificial confidence, though, like, like a bully has to pretend, right? A bully wants so badly to be confident, but they're not. So they got to be super, super loud. It's a false representation of confidence, right? It, it sounds arrogant. It sounds boastful. Today's day and age, the, the, the arrogance, it has that snarkiness with it. I think snarkiness is like the, 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 that's the word to really describe people's posture or a bully's posture. You know, when someone's being snarky, that's their bullish tendencies, right? They're pretending to be in control. They're going for the overkill. They're being overly sarcastic. And that's their way of intimidating people. But it's not real. It's a false confidence. They're, they're trying to convince themselves more than anybody else, right? And if they go in for the overkill and they're trying to be overly confident, overly snarky and things like that, they're really just trying to convince themselves they are in control by overdoing it. And they, they may fool other people, but they're not fooling themselves. You know, I think, I think of the way uh, recently I was attacked by a dog. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I, was, uh, I love animals, by the way. But uh, this dog, I was, I was behind the office. I, I preface this with I, I love animals because I almost kicked this dog. But <laughs> this, this dog was behind the office on, on Front Street where, where we have our office there. And I was parked in back by the dumpster and I was walking. And, and, and this little white, yappy, I, I guess it's a dog. It, it's just loud and it yaps. And it's, it's, you know, little dogs, they all got like little man syndrome. And so they got to they gotta puff up and they got to be loud and they never shut up. That was this dog. That's this type of dog. I'm sorry if you have a dog like that. And I, I, I'm sorry in the fact that I feel sorry for you. So, <laughs> so, so this, this dog, it, it was like all growling. He was showing his teeth and he was loose. He was out of the fence and stuff like that. And he kept bluff charging me. 
You know that you know they do. They, they just and get right up like they're gonna. And they show their teeth like they're gonna bite you. And this dog was like convinced he was going to intimidate me, right? And what's going on in my mind is is just like, I wonder if I could kick him in the dumpster from here. I think I could. It was only like thirty feet away, and I was just—he was about the size of a football. But in, in those moments, the worst thing you can do in those moments is run from a dog, right? If you know dogs, if you spent time around dogs, if the, if the vicious dog is growling and barking and charging you, don't run. You ain't outrunning anything, right? That little dog's gonna chase you down. If you run from the dog, they will bite you. When I play fight with my dog at home, who's a real dog, it. it <laughs> I'll be wrestling with the kids and everything like that. And the dog, the dog always protects the kids and, and they, they get a, a, a joy out of provoking the dog to get mad at me. And, and when I, the more I punch and hit the kids, the more she play bites me and stuff like that. But if I run, if I act like I'm running from her, she will nip me in the butt. And that's the one that hurts. So if you run from a dog, they can't help it. They're like, I'm winning. I'm, go- I'm winning. I'm, I'm going to bite now. But if you stand your ground to a dog, usually no matter how big the dog is, stand big and tall, almost any dog you ever come in contact with will back down. They'll stop. So there, there's your tip. If, <laughs> if a big dog comes, don't run. But, like, I, I think there, that's often the, how you got to approach a bully. All right? If, you, if a bully gets you on the run, right, Verbally, non-verbally, whatever it is, physical intimidation or verbal intimidation, they get you on the run. They get that taste of blood. They can't get enough. They're going to come back for more. You, you have to stand your ground. And Jesus manages to do this in, in perfect gentleness. I did too with the dog. I didn't kick the dog. I just stood there and looked at him. I was like, oh, you okay? <laughs> I want to kick you in the face. But Jesus does so with perfect gentleness the way he the way he handles these bullies. But, you know, even, even Paul in the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, he even advocates for Christians to, to take intense care of other Christians in this way. He's saying, hey, make sure you live with a spirit of gentleness. Make sure you're especially gentle with other Christians. Isn't it a shame he had to say that? Wait, Christians aren't bullies, are they? Don't get, don't get me started. I've been a pastor my whole life. Man, spent a lot of time in church, man. And Christians can be so bad. And the Bible says, hey, you need to be gentle with your brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? Know how to handle them with gentleness, too, because you're going to need to. In, in Colossians chapter 3, I want to read to you. He says, starting in verse 12 there, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, there it is, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think, I think that really sums up how gentleness works. You know, you want to be gentle with people regardless of the scenario that they're in, you can be gentle them with them in the sense that you just bind up your response to them in love. You, that's, that's what Jesus was doing when he knelt down and, and he was drawing in the, in the ground. He was binding that situation up in love. I'm going to do the loving thing, and I'm going to take control with my powerful gentleness by just slowing the whole moment down. That's the loving thing to do right now is just to be still. And, and, then, and then he's very thoughtful with what he says. I'm going, to, I'm going to bind my words up 
with love in such a way that I'm going to remind the scribes and Pharisees of the love of God and how they need to shut up and turn around and walk away. And I'm going to remind the woman of the love of God and how she is valued and loved and should not sin anymore because God loves her. And I'm going to teach all the people around us uh, uh, about uh, love. It's, it's, it's all bound up in love. That is how gentleness is carried out. So it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to gossip. It doesn't have to belittle. It doesn't have to degrade because it's secure. Only, only the insecure have to do those things. The secure don't have to do those things. They are sure of themselves and who they are in God. They don't have to rake other people over the coals. So here's how I want to end. I want to challenge you to think and self-examine. Are you gentle with other people? Are you handling other people in your life with care? That's a hard thing to do. It's an easy thing to say, a hard thing to do. When you really examine how you interact with other, other people in your life... Are you being gentle with them? And if your response is like mine, it'd be something like this. Sometimes (laughs) I try to be. Most of the time I think I would be. And so if that is your answer, if you're like me and that's your answer, don't let it stop there. Here's what I think. Here's the problem with teaching through a Fruit of the Spirit series. When we examine each one of these qualities through the lens of Scripture, it becomes painfully clear we fall short. Every single time, it becomes painfully clear that I'm not as faithful as I should be. It becomes painfully clear that I don't have as much joy in my life, as much love. I'm not as patient as I should be. Every time I study one of these, these traits in Scripture, I'm just like, oh, man, I'm just not there. What's wrong with me, right? But if we just let it stop there, the point of this sermon series is not to make you feel bad, even though I do feel bad every week. But to to concede that you lack this godly virtue is not enough. Take action. Remember, remember, keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Paul says leading up to that list. Be led by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. He's telling you, do something. You know, decide to care about other people. Are you not gentle enough with other people around you? You you don't consider their, their needs, their life? Be more gentle with them. Decide to be more gentle and be intentional, right? Set out to be more sensitive to other people. And then here, here's, here's my other tip. Ask someone who is close to you and who knows you, hey, am I a gentle person? You know, you know like, if you lack self-awareness, that's not a good place to be. That's the worst. People who lack self-awareness, uh, man, uh, and, and again, that's the advantage of looking through all of these traits through the lens of, of, of Scripture. We want to develop self-awareness, right? We want to develop an awareness of who God is and awareness of who we are in relationship to him. That's the point of going through the gospel and going through uh, Scripture together. But if you lack self-awareness, that is an awful, awful, awful place to be. I, I had someone, I had, a, I had a Christian brother in my life once who he was criticized by someone important in his life. And he was criticized by someone important that said to him, you are inconsiderate, you are arrogant, and you are rude. And I just want you to, someone just like had had enough and confronted him and told him that. And this person was someone who meant something to him. And so the person who was criticized was so offended and came to me and said, pastor, I need some advice. Okay. And he said, I just got a question. Am I arrogant and rude? Do I seem inconsiderate to you? 
And I was just like, no, man, you're a joy to be around. <laughs> I just was like, dude, I wish I could just play that back to you. If you could have just seen yourself from where I was sitting. Uh, man, that's, yeah, dude, that's bad. <laughs> uh, as, as a pastor, I, I'm in that awkward s- scenario like that, just like on a routine basis. It's just part of life. But like, if, if you get offended by criticism in your life, if someone slams you in a way that hurts, right, and, and, and you spend all your energy being offended, you're wasting your time, especially if it's someone who's important to you, someone who means something to you in your life, someone who has cared for you. If they, if they give you that sort of criticism and you waste all your energy being offended, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? The, the better question to ask is when someone who you know cares about you and who, who you know is a respectable person in your life criticizes you in that way, especially if they're, they're being upfront and blunt like that, maybe it was appropriate. Man, you should, be, you should be looking inward. Your first response to that should be, is there truth to that? That's what a spirit of gentleness does. I, I, I'll never forget, and I think I've mentioned this in, in sermons in the past, but it's just a moment that, that I, I'll never forget as a, a, um, a TV interview with Billy Graham. He was on the Larry King show, I believe, and, and he was asked, like, hey, you get criticized all the time. And uh, how, do you deal with, how do you deal with your critics and criticism? And his response was, well... I, I, I do get criticized a lot because I live in the public eye, but my first response is, is there any truth to what they're saying? Is it true? If, I, if someone calls me arrogant, let me examine myself. Was I arrogant? Did I come across arrogant? Was there some arrogance there I, w- I wasn't aware of? And so this is, what, this is what the Holy Spirit allows us to do. We can be real with ourselves. Our security is in Christ. We know we can stand before God blameless. We know we can stand before God righteous. We know we're not perfect. Our, our, our perfection comes from Christ when we stand before God. It is imputed to us through faith. We should be the most secure people in the whole world. So, yeah, we should be people who can take criticism in a way that other people can't. That when someone trashes us and it hurts, we can ask the real question, is it true? We can consider the possibilities. Where people who are offended, they... They can't consider the possibilities. They're too busy slinging the mud back. They're too busy being defensive that they don't gain anything from it but a broken relationship. And so the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to live life in a different way. That we can self-reflect with, with authenticity. We can be real. We can be humble. We can say, you're right. I was arrogant. You can say, you were right and I was wrong. And, and, and you can be okay. Right? That's, what, that, that's, the, that's the deeper dive that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. So I, I, hope, I hope that you contemplate gentleness in your life. Because, again, I do think it's a standout quality. People are mean. Right? People are rude. People are snarky. Be refreshing. Be what, be what, you know, is good in the world, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Be someone who can handle other people with care, and you will be a standout human being, and you will be so appreciated. It will be such a relief to the people who live near you. And that's what we want to be, a community of people that are a relief to be around, right? We're not demanding perfection out of anybody. You can come in here messed up, and it's okay. 
We can handle you with care because sometimes I'm going to be the butt and I need you to handle me with care and confront me. That's the community we want to be. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your spirit of gentleness. If there's anyone sitting from a vantage point that should and has the right to annihilate any and everything, it's you. Lord, your, your creation is good. You created it good, and creation rebelled. But Lord, you handle us with gentleness. You sent your son to die for us and to renew the way that we think and to empower us to live in the midst of our own mess in a way that displays your character in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be the goal and that that would be the result, having contemplated your character through Galatians chapter 5. So, Lord, as we take communion today, would you bless us and grant us a time of repentance that we can truly think about the gentleness that we display in our lives or the lack thereof, and that, Lord, we would take corrective steps to handle people with care. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.